All right. Well, it's great to have you uh, joining us. Let me swap over here. All right, I'll put the title slide up here in just a moment. It's great to have you with us online uh, and in person uh, today. And we're excited about uh, the subject matter that we're going to be diving into here together. But um, let's pray. Father, thank you <clears throat> for your great love for us. Thank you, Father, that all of those uh, handwriting of ordinances, Lord, that were against us that we could never, ever accomplish to please you or to make ourselves right before you, that Jesus came and he did it for us and he removed them, Lord, uh, just once and for all satisfying it, Lord, and we just thank you for that. Thank you for what we've received, Lord, um, as your sons and daughters in the earth through the new birth. Thank you, Father, for men and women, Lord, who have committed themselves to learning and growing and developing, Lord, not just so that they can benefit personally, but, Father, so that they can become better equipped to do what you've called them to do, that we can be better equipped to perform the ministry that you've entrusted into our care, the ministry that you've called each and every one of us to. So, Father, I just thank you for your anointing tonight. I pray that you would give me utterance. I believe that I've received it, Lord. Uh, to speak to these, your precious people. I pray, Father, that when I open my, my mouth and speak, that my spirit, soul, and body would become a portal through which your wisdom can pass from eternity into time and space, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is our teacher tonight. And Lord, as, as I stand here speaking, Father, he is speaking to the hearts of men and women and revealing truth to them in their inward parts. And so, Father, we bless you tonight. We thank you once again for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Praise God. So before the cameras came on, I was uh, telling the, uh, the group that's here that tonight is uh, beginning one of my favorite sections in these classes, and we're going to be talking about the word of reconciliation. So this is class number nine, class number nine, and uh, the title of the class tonight is the word of reconciliation. And um, we will continue with the word reconciliation through tonight and more than likely at least one more class or at least part of another class, depending on how uh, much ground we're able to uh, cover this evening. Praise God. All right, so um, let's do this. Let's do a little bit of, um, of review. Um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and uh, verse number, let's begin at verse number 18, and I'll put it up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, it says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Amen. We have on Sundays here at Heritage Christian Center um, been involved in a study on learning to trust God, and currently we're looking at uh, the importance of commitment when it comes to trusting God. And, and we see so many places in Scripture where Father God committed Himself to us, Jesus committed Himself to us, then Jesus prayed for the Father to commit the Holy Spirit to us. So we see that before Father God ever asked us to make any kind of commitment to Him, he, he made one to us, an eternal commitment that He has made to us and to His children, and for that matter, to, to all people here um, up, upon the earth. And, and then, of course, when we respond to the gift that Jesus is and, 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 and was and is 
you know, to us and to mankind that enables us to become uh, born of God, born of the Spirit, born from above, born of His seed, and literally to become His offspring uh, in the earth. And we see that once that happens, we become reconciled to God and become agents, ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means God wants to use you to bring other people back to Him, to, to, to help other people uh, come to uh, know Him. And we see that to be effective in that He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So before we get to that, let's, let's look at this right quick. We put this drawing, uh, introduced this uh, last class, and we said the ministry of reconciliation takes on two main branches, the first being uh, the new birth, and the second one being discipleship. The new birth, meaning the Word of God being preached to people and them hearing the uh, story, the message of the good news, if you will, of Jesus coming to this earth, living a sinless life, dying, raising from the dead, uh, being raised from the dead by God the Father, returning back to God the Father. And we see that in that message, believing and receiving, you know, what Jesus has done for us enables a man or woman to be born again. And notice that, that it's our uh, assignment to, uh, to share that uh, good news uh, to the world. Uh, then we see the second branch of the ministry of reconciliation is discipleship. Discipleship. Now, we said uh, again last week, and just try to do a little bit of review, is that the ministry of reconciliation takes on these two forms, and that they're both intended to remove enmity to remove enmity. And we said that the new birth removes enmity between a man or a woman and God, and the ministry of reconciliation as it applies to discipleship removes enmity within a person, within a man or a woman. So you have the enmity that would separate us from God. Jesus came to, to, to fix that for us. And so when we're born again, that enmity is taken out of the way. We become one with God. But there remains within us uh, an enmity. And, and, and remember, enmity can mean anything from violent hatred to just a difference of opinion. So when we talk about enmity within a person, we're talking about ways in which we might think that are different from the way God thinks. Uh, ways that we may see ourselves that are different from the way God sees us. Um, where, you know, the Bible talks about all that Father God has given to us. But many people disqualify themselves from what God says belongs to them because they don't believe that it's true. They don't access it by faith. They don't uh, reach for it, pursue it, go after these things. So the ministry of reconciliation, as it applies to the new birth, again, we can't save anybody. Jesus is the Savior. But if we present to them the message of salvation, they can hear it, believe it, call upon the name of the Lord, and be saved. When we talk about discipleship, the removal of the enmity within a man or a woman is a process. Uh, we see that the new birth is an instant work you know, where someone's born again, passes from death to life right in front of your face. Discipleship, on the other hand, is an ongoing or what we could say a progressive work where the uh, wrong beliefs, false beliefs, wrong thinking, um, is uh, identified and replaced with the truth. And I, I, I say that, we'll, we will spend some classes going into greater detail as, as to what that looks like and how it takes place in a person's life. 
Um, but one of the things that, that we said in a, in a recent uh, sermon here at Heritage is that, is that it's, it, it's harder <laughs> than some people think to do. In other words, when, when we've you know, had thinking formed in us you know, over the course of our lifetimes, um, it, it requires the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to uh, correct that wrong thinking and bring it into alignment um, with what Father God says to be the truth. And so we use this example a time or two already, but when we reconcile a bank statement, it's when we take the balance that we think we have and we line it up with the actual truth of, of what we uh, do have. And so as that would work itself out in a person's life, we have who we think we are, we have what we believe uh, about ourselves and our abilities, but then we have the statement from God in His Word that says who we really are and says what we can really do and what we can really have and what we can, what we can really accomplish. And so reconciliation, again, is, is bringing that uh, into um, alignment. I was working on some other things, and I'm trying to... Um, here we go right here. I, I've never said it quite this way. Um, I was working on some other things uh, today, and the Holy Spirit just gave me yet another way to say this, and so I'll put it up on the screen. Discipleship and spiritual growth are about our doing coming into alignment with our being. Discipleship and spiritual growth are about our doing. I have that word, you know, separated out with dittos there. Our doing coming into alignment with our being. And what we mean by that is Jesus knew that you could never behave in a way contrary to your true nature, your true identity. So in order to change the way we live, he came to change who we be. He changed you at the being level. You're not a human doing, you're a human being. So the only way to change what you do is to change who you really are. So when we were born again, we became this new creation as we looked at there in 2 Corinthians 5. But in, in some ways, it's, you could explain it this way. Our, our thinking is playing catch up uh, with what, you know, catching up to what God's already done at the being level or the spirit level of our existence. So discipleship and spiritual growth are about our doing coming into alignment with our being. It's another way of saying the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. So let's, um, let's talk about this, uh, the word of reconciliation tonight. The word of reconciliation. We cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the word of reconciliation. We cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the word of reconciliation. And the word of reconciliation is simply a, a beautiful, descriptive way of saying the word of God. When he, when he says the, the word of reconciliation has been committed to us, the word of reconciliation is none other than the word of God itself. So I promised last week that I would look at some of these verses uh, this week. And so as the word of reconciliation pertains to salvation, let's go first to Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. It says, And he said to them, Jesus speaking, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So this is often referred to as the Great Commission. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 
Paul speaking by the Holy Spirit, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So pay very close attention to it is the power of God to salvation. The power of God to save a man or a woman resides within the message, the good news of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then same book, uh, 10th chapter, Romans chapter 10, and now verse uh, 13, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of, of whom they have not heard? And, shall, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Next verse goes on to say, and how can they go and preach unless somebody uh, sends them? So you see a pattern developing here that in order for a man or a woman to be born again, they must hear the message of Jesus as it is found in, as it is found in the word of reconciliation. Now, let's go tonight to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we'll look at verse number 1, and then we'll look at verse number 14. John chapter 1 and 1, John chapter 1 and verse 14. Let's, let's think about something as, as we begin to work our way you know, deeper into this teaching tonight. There is so much that we understand about God that we would have never known had it not been for the Word that He has provided for us. The Bible, the 66 books that are the Holy Bible, so many things about him, about his nature, about you know, how he operates, his power, uh, the, the love that not only he has, but the love that he is. All of these things reveal to us um, from the word that, that God has provided for us. So even when we talk about the word of God, the only way to fully understand or that's a, that's a bad statement right there because you, you can't fully understand eternal truth, at least not on this side of heaven. <laughs> Paul says it, it, even a simple subject like the love of God is, is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. But if we're going to have a better understanding of the Word of God, the only place that we really have to go to find that better understanding of the Word of God is the Word of God itself. So I like you, enjoy studying the Bible, but we're going to be studying the Bible for what God has said in the Bible about the Bible, or what He has said in the Word of God about the Word of God. Now, th this is important, and it, it's going to take some time. It'll be worth the investment for, for a few reasons. First of all, when we talk about resistance and what the devil works the hardest to try to prevent in your life and in my life is you know, for us to, to come into contact with, for us to uh, learn and develop and grow up into uh, to Jesus you know, by the, the knowledge of God and that we find in the Word of God. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole uh, teaching, but you didn't wake up in a neutral world this morning 
you woke up in a hostile environment. Satan is the god of this world, lowercase g-o-d, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He's the prince of the power of the air. We are ambassadors. We're in this world, but we're not of it. And we see that there's something called resistance, simply an invisible force that's present in the world that tries to make things that are good and healthy and beneficial to us. Uh, you know, the, the devil tries to make those things seem dull and boring and, and, and not worth our time and, and, and so forth and so on. We see from a parable we've already looked at, I won't go into again, but Satan comes anytime the Word of God is preached, Satan comes to steal it. If he can't steal it, he's going to try to put pressure on you and get you to turn loose of it. If he can't get you to turn loose of it, he's going to try to grow other things up in your life around it and choke it out. So we see that Satan is absolutely positively opposed to human beings hearing anything from the Word of God because the Word of God is living and powerful. The Word of God has the ability uh, to awaken and arouse faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, um, you know, that, that's, that's resident within every human being. It's just so many things about the Word of God that are beneficial to you and to God's purposes in your life uh, and are a threat to the devil and, uh, and his purposes for your life. And so there's tremendous spiritual battle uh, surrounding the Word of God. I've used this uh, example before. You know, we and by coincidence, that is because there is an active, invisible force in the world that's trying to separate you from the Word of God and do it, uh, you know, any way and every way that he possibly can. So, you know, think about it for a moment. You know, if, if it were a neutral world, it would be just as easy to read your Bible as it is to, to watch uh, shows on television. I'm not railing against television. I, I have televisions in my home and, and watch them. Um, I'm just trying to make a point that the devil tries everything that he can to keep us from a consistent study and intake of uh, the Word of God. And so, as we look at what the Bible says about itself, as we look at, at what, when I say what it says about itself, what God has recorded in the Scriptures about the importance of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, the benefit of the Word of God, um, my prayer is that it will stir up within everyone even a greater passion than we currently have um, for the Word of God. The other thing is that when we, you know, when we talk about ministry that we've been given, a ministry that we've been called to, the ministry of reconciliation, that cannot be accomplished without the word of reconciliation, then we, we see that we need, for lack of a better way of saying it, we, we need some measure of confidence in the word of God, obviously for our own personal lives, but when we start ministering to other people, one of the things the devil will do very quickly is that he'll try to tell you that the Word of God is not, is not enough for this person, not enough for this situation, that, that this person is the rare exception of all people, that, that the Word of God really will not benefit them, that, that they need some other answer or some other solution. 
Um, it's it's kind of like when Goliath went to face, um, uh, I'm sorry, when David went to face Goliath, Goliath uh, starts to make fun of what David brought to the battle. And this is exactly what the devil tries to do concerning the Word of God. When, when we bring the Word of God uh, to fight against him, he tries to diminish in our estimations um, the, uh, the value and the benefit and the power that's in the Word of God. So the more that we can understand that, the more uh, foundation that we can have of these things in our lives, the more confident we're going to be when it comes to uh, ministering the Word of God uh, to uh, other people. So praise God. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll talk about some more of this as we work our way through. But uh, John chapter 1 and verse number 1 and you'll notice that it begins much like Genesis uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, but this time it says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I was having a conversation over the last couple of days with, with uh, a brother, a friend, and a brother of mine. And we were talking about you know, some pretty deep things, some pretty heavy things, obviously, but, but the reality of it is God is uncreated. Um, I, don't, I love this subject, and we could talk about this, you know, for the next 30 minutes. I'll try not to do that, but, but God is not a man. Sometimes we, we try to relate to him and understand him and comprehend him as a man. He, he is a, a being, we were created in his image and likeness, but he is, he is a being on a whole other plane, a whole other level, uh, than, than what we are on. And it's very difficult for our brains to comprehend something that has no beginning or has no ending because everything that our brain has ever experienced, uh, naturally speaking, has had a beginning and will have an ending. And so when we start talking about something that, that has no beginning, that's always been and always will be, uh, the only way we'll ever connect with that on a meaningful level is if we do it by faith in the heart instead of uh, thoughts in, in the brain. But when we talk about the, 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 all these different theories to try and explain our existence and our origin here on this planet, they all have one fatal error, and, and that is they eventually all run into um, this idea that something or someone has had to have always been. Um, I don't want to, man, I get so excited about this. Let me try to just cut this off here before I go much further. But, but so the, the idea that uh, everything that, that we know and are experiencing now uh, originated from a very, very unimaginably big explosion uh, eons and eons ago, well, so the question that nobody can answer is all that stuff that blew up, where did it come from? Are you following what I'm saying? In other words, no matter how far you go back, you're always going to run into something has to have always been, even if that was only a vacuum, but a vacuum is something, and there's, there are elements that, that form a vacuum. And so um, to me, it just is a giant index finger pointing to the reality of, of a God who's always been and who will always be. Now, as the Gospel of John begins, we see that it begins much differently from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let me comment on that, if I could, just briefly. If you've read the four Gospels, then you will know that, that John is the, uh, is the outlier in the sense that 
it tells the story of Jesus from a much different perspective and in a much different way. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit is the author of these books, and He used uh, men as instruments to write these books. But we also know that when the Holy Spirit uses a human being as an instrument to do anything, He doesn't just completely erase that human being. In other words, there's a reason why John's gospel reads the way John's gospel reads. There's a reason why, let's use Luke. It's really easier to understand with Luke. Luke was a medical doctor. Luke was a physician. And so we have details in the gospel of Luke about certain miracles and sicknesses and diseases that Jesus healed that we don't have in the other gospels because this is the Holy Spirit using the vessel that is, the, is Dr. Luke to, um, to, to write the story of Jesus. And, and so... In the same way, we see that of the uh, 12 disciples, well, for that matter, we, we could go outward from there. We know that um, of, uh, there were 70 um, other uh, you know, missionary evangelists, as I like to call them, that Jesus had called. Um, but then from those 70, there was an, an inner circle of 12. And from the inner circle of 12, there was even a closer group of three, Peter, James, and John. Of that inner circle of three, um, the one that was closest to Jesus uh, clearly was the Apostle John. And it was the revelation that the Holy Spirit gave John of the, of the love of God expressed through Jesus that shines through more than anything else and, and more than any other place um, in uh, the Gospel of John and then in the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, that the Holy Spirit used John to write. And so when John begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, if you'll notice the, the W in the Word, I'll put it back up on the screen here, is capitalized because he's referring to Jesus as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I know that a lot of you who are watching or listening to me right now already know this, but I learned a long time ago you know, to never assume that people understand things that they may not understand. And so what we need to know, if you don't know already, is that Jesus is as much God as God the Father, and Jesus is as much God as God the Holy Spirit. When this world was created, uh, Jesus was there. A lot of times people have this odd idea that Jesus only came into existence at Christmas time. That's at Christmas time is when we celebrate Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the uncreated Son of God, uh, without beginning, without ending. This is when He came to this earth as a human being, not when He originated. So this is what Paul is, I'm sorry, what John is saying here. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to say, nothing that was created was created without Him, all things were made, so forth and so on. But now let's go over to uh, verse uh, number 14, John chapter 1 and verse 14. Here we see, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Man, I want to read that about three more times. So we immediately come to a concept that we will never understand unless we understand it by faith. So let's talk about the Word of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. This, of course, is referring to Jesus. And so when he says that the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, he's talking about Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling among us. So, I'm speaking words to you right now, and the words that I'm speaking to you are expressing thoughts that are originating inside of me. So, words express thoughts. If I have a thought in my head that I want to try to take from my head and put it into your head, or for that matter, a thought in my heart, and put it as a thought into your heart, the mechanism by which I transfer that thought from my head or my heart to your head or to your heart is this mechanism we call words. The, the thought becomes words. I speak the words out of my mouth. Those words then go into your ears, into your, into your mind for you to either reject or receive or meditate on, put on a shelf. And hopefully, eventually, the Holy Spirit, you know, in what we're doing now, uh, not just casually speaking, but teaching the Word of God, we believe the Holy Spirit's involved in this and He's helping us even saying things to individuals related to what we're talking about now, but not necessarily something that's coming out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit speaking uh, to uh, your heart. So let's go back to it then. Words are an expression of thoughts. So we could say then that Jesus becoming, you know, the Word of God becoming flesh and, and that... Uh, reality being Jesus himself, we could say it this way, that Jesus is a living and breathing expression of the divine mind, or we could say of the divine intelligence. Jesus is a living and breathing expression of the divine intelligence. Now, we're going to be talking about some, again, I've said it already, important things tonight, some kind of heavier things tonight. Um, Let me jump a little bit ahead of myself, and I'm sure we'll get to these slides in a moment. But Hebrews 4 and 12 tells us that the Word of God is living and powerful. Um, The Word of God is the only book that you'll ever read that will read you back. Uh, Some people say, I don't understand the Bible. Well, you may not understand the Bible, but the Bible understands you. And and so when we read and study and and ingest literally the Word of God, we, we are reading and studying and handling and receiving into ourselves the very life force of God. So Jesus is a living and breathing expression of the divine intelligence. What, what do we mean by that when we say that? Well, if you want to know what God is thinking, look at the life of Jesus. Because with Jesus, we have God communicating to us, not just with words on a page, but we have God communicating to us in the form of His Son, the express image of Himself, but in this case, living and breathing and walking and talking and moving among us. In our uh, world today, a lot of communication takes place electronically through text messages and emails. And um, I'll never forget when that first started, I thought it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Why would you sit there? Of course, in those days, you didn't have the uh, 
the the qwerty you know the um, you know the the keyboard with the letters you had the numbers and so if you wanted the letter C you had to push the number one three times to get to the C and so it was it was slow and cumbersome and yet the younger generation loved it they loved uh, to to do text messaging uh, it took me a while uh, to get on board but of course now man it's it's so much more convenient. I can speak into my phone and send a text. And, you know, when you have a lot of communicating to do, uh, you know, text messaging and emails um, can be much more convenient than a phone call. But some of the problems with text messaging is that it is a, it is a one-dimensional form of communication. And so you need to be very careful, if you haven't figured this out already, trying to like be funny or tongue-in-cheek or something like that because without any emotion um, you know that would be normally expressed with um, you know eye contact and uh, you know facial expressions and, and things of this nature voice inflection we don't have any of that in text messaging that's why we we had the invention of something called an emoji which, you know, it started out with um, either a colon or a semicolon with uh, a, a parentheses, you know, um, uh, the uh, right-hand parentheses for the smiley face, the left-hand uh, one for uh, a frowny face. Uh, so notice the effort behind an emoji in a text message is we're trying to add that dimension of emotional expression in what is otherwise a one-dimensional form of communication. So we see that when Jesus came as the Word of God made flesh, living and breathing and operating among us, He instantly became this uh, multi-dimensional uh, communication point where God now is among us and we don't just read on a page what He's saying to us, but we listen to Him, we hear Him, we see Him uh, operating and living uh, among us. So. Um, Jesus, again, is a living and breathing expression of the divine mind, the divine intelligence. This is why Jesus said things like, I will never do anything unless my Father tells me to do it, shows me to do it. I'll never say anything unless my Father tells me to say it. It's because He understood that His life on this earth was meant to be in every way uh, an exact and precise revelation of who God truly is to us, to, to mankind. Now, some of you may have heard of uh, Sister Marilyn Hickey. She's an international minister and highly accomplished Bible teacher. Uh, in her testimony, after she first got born again, there were lots of churches in the, in the city where she lived, and she was just so in love with Jesus and, and yet so green and, and immature in these things. And so she began to ask the Lord a very simple question. She said, where can I find you? Can I, can I find you in the Catholic Church? If, if that's where you are, then I'll go there. If you're in the Baptist Church, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church. She just kept crying out to God, just tell me um, where you are and where I can find you, and that's where I will go. And she said the Lord answered her very clearly one day, not an audible voice, but in her spirit. He told her, he said, you can find me in my word. You can find me in my words. As a matter of fact, I've got a, I've got a slide for that. I, I think it's, uh, I know it really was impactful for me. So I'll put it up so you can kind of even visualize what, what we're saying here. 
He told her, he said, Father God told her, he said, you can find me in my word. And, and that is the place where he can still be found today. He can still be found today. Praise God. Now, um, let's go to John, the 18th chapter, John chapter 18 and verse 36. You can find me in my word. Praise God. You can find him in his word. The Lord spoke to me when I was very young and, and just trying to grow and, and develop in the things of God. And, and you know, so many, uh, so many things that we could get involved in and be a part of. And, and um, of course, Pam and I, were, we were talking about it one day, you know, all the different things that we did. We were youth leaders. We led the youth prayer team. We taught third grade girls Sunday school. And we, we weren't even married yet. I mean, we, we were just dating, you know what I'm saying? But we just, you know, sometimes you can commit yourself to a lot of things and, and the Lord knows our heart, but sometimes you can even maybe overdo it, you know. <laughs> On a, uh, uh, of course, we were young, didn't have kids and weren't even married in those days and, and, um, and so thankful for all that. But the Lord explained to me that, that while all that's important, I would never love him more or serve him better than I loved his word and labored in his word. Amen. And so I'm not trying to discourage anyone listening to me right now from committing and being involved and doing, just don't commit and be involved to other things related to God and serving God and fail to commit uh, yourself or ourselves to uh, the diligent uh, study of His Word because this is what equips us to ultimately be effective in what it is He's called us to do. So John chapter 18 and uh, in verse uh, 36, these uh, verses, and just follow with me, it's almost going to sound like for a moment that we're going off subject, but we're not. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. I find no fault in him at all. So these verses are taken from Jesus being on trial uh, before Pontius Pilate, who was um, a high-ranking official in the, in the Roman government. And they had brought him, the Jews had brought him, Jesus, to Pilate to have Pilate pronounce a death sentence over Jesus. And Pilate was obviously trying to figure out a way to not do that. He didn't feel like uh, Jesus was uh, um, deserving of you know, such a severe uh, punishment. And at first, if you've read all of this, you know that Jesus wouldn't answer at all. Uh, and finally, I think it was because of the sincerity in Pilate's heart to, to have answers is, is why Jesus uh, actually began to speak to him. So the accusation was that Jesus had put himself forward as a king, which could be taken as a threat to Caesar, and so therefore he must be eliminated. And if Pilate didn't do it, uh, they would tell Caesar that he's tolerating 
uh, someone declaring themselves to be king instead of Caesar. And so just manipulation and leverage and, and all these other things. And so Jesus finally says, my kingdom is not of this world. If, if, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would, would fight. But that's not what this is all about. And so Pilate says, are you a king? And he says, yes, I, I'm a king. And pay close attention. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, that's not to say that Jesus somehow was born... I didn't say that correctly. Let me go back. We often think of Jesus was born into this world to die on the cross and bring salvation. And certainly that would be a correct answer. But that's not the only reason that Jesus came to this earth in the flesh. He came to this earth in the flesh to bear witness to the truth. He came to this earth to be that living, breathing expression of who God is and the heart that He has and the, and the compassion and the passion that He has for um, us, his creation. But then in verse 38, Pilate asks this question. He says, what is truth? What is truth? Now, there are lots of important questions that we find in the Bible that we need to uh, answer and come to, term, come to terms with for ourselves. For instance, who do men say that I am? Jesus asks us that question. Who do men say that I am? It's one of the most important, if not the most important question that you'll ever answer for yourself. But this question that Pilate asked, what is truth? If you understand their culture, the, the Romans were, uh, see if this sounds familiar to what, what's going on in our world today. Uh, the, the Romans were extremely tolerant. Uh, for, for example, when they would conquer a people group, they would, for the most part, leave their government in place. That's why you still have a high priest. You, you still have King Herod. Uh, you, know, you see his involvement in the, in the trial and ultimate ex execution of Jesus. But there was another government level above the existing government, the Roman government, that all of those folks answered to. The Roman Empire was growing and developing so quickly that Rome was having a difficult time governing all those folks. And so uh, it just worked out better for them to leave governments in place. Uh, and those governments then would answer to um, an overarching government. So if, you ever, if you've ever heard of something called the Pax Romana or the Roman peace, you know, think of it as... Um, a, an iron fist in a velvet glove. <laughs> it, 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 I don't want to try to get into politics and all that, but nonetheless, um, this is what's going on here. And so the, the Romans were people practicing in, you know, their sacrifices in their temple and, and doing all the things that they do, um, but for the life of them, they couldn't understand why they didn't want other people to use their temple on days when they weren't using it. <laughs> and it was that, that was kind of the Roman mindset. You know, it's like, okay, go do whatever you do and, and worship the God that you worship uh, in, in the temple. But there are other religions, there are other philosophies, there are other ideologies um, 
that, that worship different gods and um, you should let them. And of course, the Jews were like, absolutely, positively not, no profane thing, you know, so forth and so on. It was just a constant point of contention until, you know, Rome finally had enough with it in, uh, in AD 70. But again, you're not here for a, a history lesson. But the point being, when he asked what is truth, there would have been many different uh, philosophies. There, would have, there was, you know, Pilate would have, you know, many different versions of gods and goddesses and this and that and, and ways that people said you should live your life. And so when Jesus says he came to bear witness to the truth, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? We're hearing a phrase, I don't know if you've heard it, I'm, I'm hearing it more and more in our world today, where people say, according to my truth, according to my truth, uh, in, that, in the sense that people are trying to uh, personalize their, their own version of what they believe is right and true. And so the idea of thinking is, well, you've got your truth, I've got my truth, and somebody else may have their truth, and, and so I'm going to live my life according to my truth. Well, that's, that's very, very dangerous it's it, it sounds uh, you know that's like when you think about tolerance and, and 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 all of these things on the surface it all sounds so good but you you can't have peace without Jesus you can't have peace without harmony and agreement and so as long as people have all these different ideas and opinions there's going to be uh, conflicts and disagreements among people so when it comes to you and to me the question that's asked here, what is truth, we have to answer that because with, without coming to terms for ourselves um, you know, with what truth really is and where you find it, that leaves things up for negotiation. It leaves things up for uh, discussion and uh, debate in our lives. So here's the pretty cool answer. Uh, we find it in John chapter 17 and verse 17. And um, I was given, I think it was when I graduated high school, I was given this little pack of memory verse cards. Um, somebody had, had bought them uh, there from the uh, Christian bookstore there in, in the midfield. Uh, and I, uh, I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize you know, some of these verses. And this was one of the first ones. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here because every word that God's ever spoken is extremely important but I was you know had already began preaching and I was really looking for you know the impactful effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much and I was I was looking for those kinds of verses uh to memorize ones that I could preach and bear down on and whatever you know and um and this was like the first one in there John 17 17 and I thought well it's kind of brief and and I'll I'll memorize that one, but what does it even mean? You know, that kind of thing. And, and of course, it was one of the most important ones that I could have ever uh, memorized and committed to memory. So uh, John chapter 17 and uh, verse 17, he says, um, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And I'm not sure why we lost the screen here. Let me see if I can get that back for y'all. Has it been out for a long time? Okay, all right, amen. Well, we got all kinds of equipment here. It's needed all to work correct, properly. So sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So 
Pilate's question was, what is truth? Um, he might have better asked the question if he'd have said, who is truth? <laughs> because we see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. I'll show you that verse here in just a moment. But sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We find this in John 17. We've talked about this chapter already. It's where Jesus prayed first for himself, then for his disciples, then for you and me. And we see that he says we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And he's not asking Father to take us out of the world, but to leave us here because we have a job to do. We have an assignment to do. We've become uh, the workforce, if you will, of the kingdom. We've been called into the family business, into uh, helping perform and carry out Father's business, Father's plan, Father's will in the earth and for the peoples of the earth. And so in that prayer, Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to sanctify them, separate them, protect them from the world, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. That word sanctify means to set apart from, but while you're setting apart from one thing, you're setting it apart to another. So we have uh, dishes at our house that are sanctified, not because we've laid hands on them and prayed over them, but they're, they are in a certain spot. Matter of fact, when it's Christmas time, um, because they're up high, I, ha I help him get them down. And, um, and we don't eat on those dishes at 4th of July. We don't eat on those dishes for people's birthdays, other than Jesus' birthday, I guess. Um, and so notice those plates are separated from everyday common use. They're separated from other, even special occasions, but they're separated to a very special occasion. So this is a simple way to understand what sanctification means. It means to be separated from one thing, separated to another. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, let's go back, though, because the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it goes into the body, all the way to the marrow and the bone. It's able to separate the part of you that's soul from the part of you that's spirit. We haven't looked at that verse yet. We'll get to it in just a minute. That's Hebrews 4 and 12. So think about what he's saying. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Discipleship is about being separated from wrong thinking and separated to right thinking. It's about being separated from uh, bad habits and wrong behavior, separated to right living and right behavior. And, and we can never underestimate the power that resides in the word of God to help us with that and to, uh, to do that for us. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word, the word of God is truth. Dr. Bill Winston, this is one of my favorite quotes uh, from him. He says that truth is the highest form of reality. Truth is the highest form of reality. Truth is the highest form of reality. So think about it for a moment. Who, who is not just a liar, but the father of lies? We know that that is the devil himself. And we know that to any extent, um, something that's not true, to, to whatever extent, um, a falsehood or a lie has influenced or impacted the way we think and live, um, that falsehood, that lie, has impacted the reality that we're experiencing. See, heaven is going to be heaven for a lot of reasons, obviously, but one of the things that we see in heaven is there's no falsehood. There's not even a shadow uh, there. Um, it, it's, it's all pure. It's all light. It's all the wisdom of God. Um, un, unfiltered, uncontaminated, uninterrupted um, wisdom of God, truth of God. So, man, I don't... 
sometimes verses and statements have impacted me and and stir something up inside of me, and it's like, okay, man, I sure hope that's touching y'all. I hope that's impacting you and, and, and stirring something inside of you the way it stirs something inside of me. But truth is the highest form of reality. So if, we're, if our lives are going to be a reflection of, of the reality uh, that God intended for us to, to live and experience in this earth, then we're going to have to live a life based upon His truth um, without any uh, error or, or false beliefs or, or lies or deception and things of that nature. And obviously that... <laughs> You know, we're, you know, we're, that's how we grow and develop, and, and the call of God on our lives is an upward call. You know, I wish I could tell you this happens instantly and overnight, but the changing of our minds, the renewing of our minds, the reconditioning of our minds is, is a process. It takes time. But the more our thinking reflects the truth of God, the more our life reality is going to reflect um, that truth, and our life experience is going to reflect that truth. Amen. All right. Let's, um, let's go through a few more verses here. John chapter 14 and verse 6. I hope I'm not going too fast for you. We could spend a lot of time just on this verse right here. We could probably spend half a class easily. Um, I just want to touch on it for, for a moment. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what is truth? Thy word is truth. Jesus is the word made flesh. So Jesus identifies himself as the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus becomes your way, you'll never be lost. If he becomes your truth, you'll uh, never believe a lie. If he becomes your life, you will never die. Amen. So Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Another very important discipleship passage. We've already looked at it once. We find it in Ephesians chapter 4. And verse number 20, where he says, But you have not so learned Christ. And this word learned there is the word manthano, which is the root word for the word uh, disciple and discipleship. So you have not so learned Christ. What, what does this mean? He goes on to say, as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. So truth is in him. Truth is Jesus, the life that he lived is um, a, uh, well, look at the reality of Jesus' life and existence for a moment. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing. I heard Brother Keith Moore this week say something that was so simple but so profound. Man, I just never heard anybody say it this way. But he's, he was talking about devils and demons, and he said, you realize that if no one yielded to demonic spirits, then it would be as if they don't even exist because they can't do anything unless they can trick or deceive a human being into listening to them and yielding to them and, and, and giving in to what it is they're trying to manipulate them uh, into doing. And so we see Jesus in the life that he lived. It was a life that he never yielded a single time to the enemy. He, he was never deceived for, a, for a one even split second of, of his life here. His life was... So, so based upon the truth that he could say, I am the truth, and we see the reality of his uh, existence. Now, uh, of all the quotes from other people that are associated with this, um, this one is not only my favorite, but I think it just really sums it up uh, so beautifully. It's one of those quotes that I wish I had said, um, and I just took it off the screen. Let me put it back up. Uh, it's, it's one of, you know, sometimes you hear a song and you say, man, I wish I'd wrote that song, or you see some idea and you go, man, I wish I'd have thought of that invention first, or, 
Uh, sometimes I'll read a book and I'm going, man, I wish I'd have written this book, you know. Um, but I wish I had said this, Bill Johnson, amen, but the Holy Spirit chose to give it to you first, amen. Jesus is perfect theology, man. Jesus is perfect theology. What is theology? Theology is the study of God. Theology, theo, God, ology, theology. Theology is the study of God, and according to the Holy Spirit through our dear prophet Bill Johnson, amen, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. So much so that He is a living and breathing expression of the divine intelligence. He, he is God Himself living uh, in human form, living among us. Now, let's, um, let's shift gears here. Still talking about the word of reconciliation, but let me uh, just, if I could, encourage you with a couple of things. We need to give God and His Word the place they deserve in our lives. We need to make His Word our final authority. You need to make His Word your final authority. I need to make His Word my final authority. What, what do we mean by that? That nothing else, no other voice, no other opinion, no other idea um, is anywhere even equal to on the same plane as his word uh, and the influence that it has upon our lives. So that's what we mean by allow his word to have overriding supremacy in every situation. Allow his word to have overriding supremacy in every situation. Sometimes we think of, of uh, our president here in, in the United States has something called, I'm going to leave those up on the screen uh, for a moment. Some of you may be, be writing those down. So but in our country, in the United States, our president has something called veto power, where if um, the House of Representatives and the Senate, because um, we have three, you know, that have to all come together, uh, so let's say the House of Representatives and the Senate pass legislation that the president doesn't think is in the best interest of uh, the country or doesn't fit with the vision that he has for the country, our president can then veto, uh, override that uh, uh, legislation and cancel it out. Now, if the House and the Senate have the votes, then it has to be a supermajority, so to speak, for, for them to um, override a veto. Uh, it happens on occasion, um, but this is what we mean by overriding supremacy in every situation where you know, no matter what it is or what voice it is that's speaking in uh, to your life, we're going to allow the Word of God to have the number one place in our lives and everything else um, is, is not equal or less than to it, but everything else in our lives bows its knee to it. Give God and His Word the place they deserve in your life. Well, what place is that? I mean, what, what place does God and His Word deserve in your life? You do understand that there's only one number one place in your life, right? Um, there's, you can't have multiple number ones. Um, it, there can only be one number one. And as important as family is, as important as career is, as important as other interests and, and maybe even causes that are important causes that we're a part of, um, if you know God's either number one or He's not, Amen. And so give God and His Word the place that they deserve in 
your life. Make His Word your final authority. Allow His Word to have overriding supremacy in every situation. Praise God. Now, the simple question that you should ask yourself for everything that has anything to do with you, what does the Word say? Okay, It's a simple question, but it's the question that you should ask yourself in every situation. For everything, not most things, not some things, everything that has anything to do with you, what does the Word say? This is what we mean by making the Word of God your final authority. What does the Word say? What does the Word say? Mama, can I do this? Well, honey, what does the Word say? Should we do this? Can we go here? What does the Word say? What should I do with, in this situation? What, how should we handle this? How should we respond to that? What does the Word say? I, I, again, this simple question, this simple question, revolutionized uh, the life of our family, uh, man, some 40 years ago uh, uh, now, um, where, you know, my parents, of course, I, was, I, mean, I wasn't even a teenager yet, I was 12 years old, um, when the Lord really began to speak to, to my mom and dad and, and, and brought tremendous change, um, introduced us, the Holy Spirit led us into the baptism of the Holy Spirit and uh, and, and, and all of these things ultimately connected us with uh, Brother Hagen and Brother Copeland and Brother Caps and, and a whole bunch of other folks that um, helped us understand the Word and, um, and faith in ways that, that we had never had it explained to us before. But all of that just comes back to uh, this is a lifestyle. You know, if you're going to live your life by the Word of God, then you need to know what the Word of God has to say. And if you're going to live your life by the Word of God, then when you make decisions, you've got to make them based upon the Word of God. What does the Word say? And, and it's amazing. First of all, the Word of God's always right, but it's amazing how much easier it becomes when you eliminate all of those options. I had a dear sister in, uh, in uh, one of the classes that I teach uh, last week she just shared a little brief part of, of her testimony, and, um, and, it, and it so touched me. She said that, you know, obviously she came to the, to the foundry. Uh, she knew the Lord, uh, was struggling some areas in her life, and, and she's like, you know, before the Lord, she's like, okay, Lord, where, where do I need to start? And, and to her surprise, he said, let's start with all the things that you never need to do again. <laughs> and, um, and she thought, oh, man, you know, really, so... Um, but, but she talked about how once she eliminated all the wrong options, now what it is that he would have for her to do became so crystal clear and it became so much easier. The devil loves to try to confuse us with lots of opinions and lots of options. We live in something now called the information age. I want you to think about that for a moment. The information age. Never in the history of humankind has there been more information available to you than is available to you right now, okay? With the advent of the internet and all the different social media outlets and, you know, the, the, the billions and billions of, of websites and blogs and this and that. 
we literally, it's, it's information overload. And, and I think in, in a lot of ways, I don't, I'm not railing against it. Just don't think that's what I'm doing here. But in a, in a lot of ways, it's, it's creating a generation of people on the earth who, who are no longer really thinking for themselves. They're, 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 they're allowing um, Google to do their thinking for them. They're, they're, you know, if they've got a situation or a problem, you know, Google it, right? Just you know, click it in, see what everybody else has done, man. I, and listen, I, again, I'm not railing against it, the convenience of it. You know, there are pretty complex repairs that I've done on automobiles and appliances and things in my house. Um, I, I, I took apart a computer and upgraded the, the, um, the, the, the random access memory and all this other stuff because I'm sitting there watching it on video step by step. I'm just, you know, I pause it, do it, start it over again, watch it for a few minutes and, and do it. And it literally walk me through something that, you know, prior to all of that, I would have had to send the computer off and... Lord only knows how much I'd have had to pay and how long it would have taken, so forth and so on. So I'm not, I'm not against all that, but somewhere lost in, in all of these things is, you know, our ability to, to not, when I say think for ourselves, um, we become so, so overwhelmed by information and uh, opinions and ideas that we really have no idea, you know, what we think or what to do or any of those other things. And somewhere, if, if we're not careful, Lost in all that will be the Word of God, and if not lost in all of that, um, let me say it another way, even if we don't lose the Word of God in all of that, there are a lot of God's people who consider the Word of God to just be one more opinion in the bunch. They consider the Word of God to be, you know, what does the Bible say about it? Okay, what does this person say about it? What does this person say about it? And we get all these different ideas and, and opinions. Um, so don't, don't let the enemy uh, do that to you. Praise God. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing how simple it becomes when, you know, we're going to do what the Word says because that's God's Word to us and this is what God would, would, would say to us and this is how He would have us do it. Uh, it's, it's such a not just a liberating way to live, but it's, 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 it's a successful way uh, to live. So what's the question we're going to ask ourselves? What does the Word say about this? When we're faced with, a, with some decision and we're not really sure which way to go, what to do, well, what does the Word say about it? And listen, if you don't know, there's plenty of people um, that, um, that can help you uh, with that, praise God. And I, I know some of you are probably going to snicker when I say this, but there, there are times when... Instead of, you know, how to fix uh, the, uh, the water pump on my Chevrolet pickup, that I will kick into a Google search bar, what does the Bible say about, amen. And, and it's amazing how you can get 50 verses. I'm not talking about people, there's blogs and what people think about it, their interpretation, but you can Google, you know, what does the Bible say about fill in the blank and, and that fast have you 50 or more verses on a, on a given subject. So, um, what does the Word say? This needs to be our go-to. Romans chapter 10, we get that from a verse. Um, what does the Word say about what does the Word say, right? <laughs> Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? Amen. The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. So we've got to get the Word near us. We've got to get the Word in our mouth. We've got to get the Word in our heart. Amen. If it's in your heart, 
if it's near you, uh, it's, it's going to be in your mouth. Matthew 12, 34 says, what's in your heart in abundance is going to come out of your mouth. Praise God. All right, now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. I'm not, I'm not sure if this would be the one, but if I could only show you one verse from the Bible about the Bible this would more than likely be uh, the one that I would refer you to, okay? Um, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Man. So, the Word of God, first of all, He says, the Holy Spirit says, that we need to understand about the Word of God is that it's alive, it's living, and it's powerful. Uh, powerful here is dunamis. And it's the word that, the Greek word that we get our English word dynamite from. And it's talking about the, the raw, explosive power of God. So we see that the Word of God is living. It's alive. Amen. This book is alive, my friend. There's life in it, and it's alive. The Word of God is living, and the Word of God is powerful. So the devil never wants you to understand that. He never wants you to think of the Word of God as that. He wants you to think of the Word of God as just, you know, one-dimensional, dull, boring, outdated, um, you know, who can understand it, so forth and so on. The, all these ideas are, are things that the, that the devil is trying to convince us uh, con concerning the Word of God. But we see the opposite is true. The Word of God is living, it's powerful, and then he says it's sharper than. Now, in their day, the, the sharpest instrument would have been a two-edged or a double-edged sword. So you have a sword with a single edge or you have a sword with a double edge. And the idea behind a two-edged sword is that both edges on the blade are sharpened as opposed to one side being flat. <clears throat> Think of like maybe a, um, a, a pocket knife, you know, that you would open up. And, it, you know, one side you could put your thumb on if you needed a whittle or whatever with it. Uh, but then the other side is sharp. But a two-edged sword is a sword that is sharp on both sides. One of the takeaways from that is that it, that means it cuts both ways. So a, a two-edged sword would, would cut going in and coming out. Okay? So uh, I think a better understanding for us is that it's sharper than the sharpest cutting instrument of their day. So we may say in our day, you know, we have things like laser uh, uh, surgery, laser knives, gamma knives, um, things that are, you know, beyond anything they were able to, you know, understand or comprehend in the day that it was written. But when he says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, he then explains how sharp it really is and what it will actually cut, okay? And we see that it pierces even to the division of soul and spirit. Now, 
You are a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit. You have a soul. And you live in a physical body. Spirit, soul, and body. It's sometimes represented by a triangle. I'm not really fond of that um, way of representing it because that with a triangle communicates all sides being equal and that's just simply not the case. I prefer three circles um, with the spirit being at the center of the circle, uh, then the soul outward from there, and then the body the outermost. So your spirit being the real you and the deepest um, level of your existence would be your spirit. For instance, when you were born again, it was your spirit that was born again, not your soul, not your body. Your spirit in, in, in the Greek is the word pneuma. Uh, soul in the Greek is the word suche, P-S-U-C-H-E. And then your body is um, flesh is sarx, S-A-R-X, or soma um, for body in the Greek. Now, I'm telling you that not to impress you that I know these words. I'm, I'm telling you that so that you'll understand where a lot of people are, are otherwise confused. And, and that a lot of people think the spirit and the soul are the same thing. Um, and they use those words often interchangeably with one another. But your spirit and your soul are not the same thing. One is a, is a pneuma in the Greek. One is a suche. But we also see here that your spirit and your soul are so intertwined and connected with one another that only the Word of God has the ability to distinguish or identify, sever, if you will, the part of you that is spirit from the part of you that is soul. That's really, really important because as born-again men and women, God has completely um, not just restructured, not just uh, refurbished, he has completely replaced our spirit. Our old man, our old, the old you was buried in an unmarked grave with Jesus and you were raised together with him to newness of life and at that point he put a new spirit in you. This is why those verses we've looked at the last few weeks where you know, he says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new, now all things are of God. He's talking about what what God did through the new birth at the spirit level, the spirit dimension of your existence. So it was your spirit that was born again. Remember Nicodemus's confusion. How can a man when he's full grown go back to his mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus said what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is spirit. So this is extremely important that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to distinguish, divide, separate the part of you that spirit from the part of you that soul because you know we we need how do I say this well let me praise God let me try to go at it this way when Jesus would minister on the earth there would be times where people would come to him and it would be a a classic symptoms of demonic possession. In other words, they would be acting in ways that um, you know, this person's you know, possessed with demons. And we would see that, that there, it was not uh, something spiritual, it was not something um, mental or emotional, but it was actually 
something organic. And there was the problem was with the, the physical fleshly brain, and and he would heal that person. Um, but then we see there would be times where people would come to Jesus with classic symptoms of some type of physical sickness or ailment, and he would cast out of them a spirit of infirmity. The point being, as a spirit who possesses a soul that lives in a body, we can have all kinds of different issues on different dimensions of our existence, but the Word of God is able to, to penetrate, distinguish, even when it comes to the, the physical body, notice it says spirit, division of spirit and soul and of joints and marrow. Wow, joints and marrow. So we know that physical life springs, well, first of all, the Bible says life's in the blood and uh, blood cells are generated in the marrow of the bones. So physical life springs forth from the deepest part of your physical body, which is the, the joints, the bones, and the marrow in the bones. So think about what he's saying. He's, he's saying the Word of God can not only separate um, the part of you that's soul from the part of you that's spirit, but it can penetrate into your physical body and go all the way down into the marrow of your bones. He sent His Word and healed them. He's talking about the Word of God bringing physical healing to a human body. So it's living, it's powerful, it's sharp, amen, and it pierces to the division of soul, spirit, and joints, and marrow. How about this one? And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So in the same way that um, a physical life originates in the marrow of the bones, the Bible says as a man or a woman thinks in their heart, so is he, so is she. So, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Have you ever done something and not known why? Have you, have you ever acted in certain ways, but you, know, you weren't even really sure why you did that or, or, or that sort of thing? When, he, when he's talking about the intents of the heart, he's saying that, that the Word of God not only understands what you do, but understands uh, why you do it. Do, do you see the value of this in our lives and in the value of this you know, in ministering it to other people? Um, and, and, and the gift that the Word of God uh, is uh, in, in these areas. So I said it before, I'll say it again. You may not understand the Bible, but the Bible understands you. It's the only book you'll ever read that will read you back. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 22 says that the words of God are life to those who find them. And how about this? Health to all their flesh. Health to all their flesh. All right, let's go. Amen. We're just about out of time. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I hope you're getting something out of this tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. 2 Timothy 3 and um, 16. Praise God. Actually, we're going to look at 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? So that's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. When he says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, 
This word inspiration here is the word theonoustos, okay? Theonoustos, and um, it loosely translated, and we're going to get, we're going to do better than loosely translated, but let's start with loosely translated. Theonoustos, loosely translated, means breathed, God breathed. Now, sometimes we, we throw this word around, you know, so-and-so so inspired me, okay? Man, I get inspiration from. Um, I, need, I need to do some projects around my house, and so I started recording uh, the new season of This Old House. I don't know if I've watched every episode of This Old House, but I have watched hundreds of them, if not thousands of them. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. And, but see, what happens now when I start watching uh, people uh, do projects on their house, uh, it inspires me to want to do a project on my house, okay? And so a lot of times we think of inspiration, you know, we think of, of you know, being motivated in some way to do something, all right? Well, how that relates to what this means here is, um, you know, you, you watch these things, you get inspired, means what, that, you know, it, it breathes life into you, it, it, it motivates you. But in this case, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He's literally saying, that God breathed it. Now, I'm speaking to you now, but what um, you may not be thinking about is every time I speak, I'm releasing breath. Breath, in other words, I can't, I can't hold my breath and speak to you at the same time. If I'm going to speak to you, then there are muscles in my abdomen that are pushing air uh, out of my lungs, up through and across my vocal cords, and it's enabling me to speak to you. So when God speaks, His breath, He breathes, it's, 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 it's being released. This is why the Word of God is living and powerful, because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, we'll cover some of, of these things in greater detail maybe next week, but... Um, when it says it's profitable, the, the Word of God is profitable. It, it, it is beneficial. It, you understand, like if you own a business, then profit is a good thing. We're talking about something that is ad advantageous. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. That means to point out something that's, that's wrong or incorrect. But it's also profitable to correct what it identifies as being incorrect. And then instruction in righteousness. Remember, through the new birth, we've been made righteous. We've been made something that, that we need instructions for. <laughs> It'd be like if you've got uh, some kind of new uh, electronic gadget, and um, now you need instructions on how to turn it on. You need instructions on how to connect it. You need instructions on how to charge it. So we've been made righteous. The Word of God now becomes instructions for living in the righteousness that we've been made. Then he goes on to say that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, let's talk about this word, um, theonoustos, and we'll finish up. Is everybody good? Everybody okay? Yeah? All right. So, um, <clears throat> inspiration equals um, theonoustos. Theo or Theos equals God. Um, P-N-E-U, think like an air tool, a pneumatic uh, um, drill or, or something like that. It's speaking of 
a dynamic movement of air. So from this, we get the meaning God breathed. Okay, we get the meaning God breathed. Amen. Pam, would you mind pulling that door too? Matthew's in there warming up the trumpet. And, and you got, okay, thank you, Sister Shree. Praise God. Um, amen. Uh, <clears throat> he told me last week he, that uh, my son was in there with him. He went over, he says, Uncle Matt, they're still having class in there. So he was blown. I didn't hear him last week, but maybe that's why I'm a little more sensitive to it now. So praise God. Coming down the home stretch, all right? So Theonustus, Theos equals God, pneuma, a dynamic movement of air. Now, one of uh, my many favorite Bible teachers is Dr. Rick Renner. And um, Dr. Rick Renner has written a, a book called Sparkling Gems from the Greek. And you can actually go to his website. Uh, I think it's renner.org. Just search Rick Renner and you can find his uh, R-I-C-K-R-E-N-N-E-R. Um, and, and you'll pull it up. But uh, if, if you should sh so choose, um, he will send uh, every day to your inbox um, a sparkling gem from the Greek. What does that mean? It's, it's just a, a devotional where he takes a Bible verse and he'll take one or a few words uh, out of that Bible verse and break them down for you from the Greek language. And <clears throat> I don't know how many years ago that I read... Uh, Rick Renner's um, entry on, um, on this word that we're looking at now, Theonustus, and I immediately moved it over into my notes for this class because, you know, how he uh, brings this together and, and presents this to me is, uh, is, is both brilliant, it's, it's beautiful, but man, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it sums it up like I have... Um, Never heard it summed up. So I'll show you what I've done. I, I did it in, in slides. I'm going to put the slides up on the screen, and then I'm going to read this to you. So from Rick Renner, um, the root new, P-N-E-U, communicates a dynamic movement of air. For example, it can mean to blow as to blow air. It was actually used to portray a, mu a musician who blew air through an instrument to produce a musical sound. There are also places where it is used to picture the emitting of a fragrance. Furthermore, this route could be used to depict the projection of emotions. The word theonustus is the picture of God breathing his own substance into something. Just as a musician would blow on an instrument to produce a distinct sound, it's kind of appropriate that we were hearing Matt blow through the trumpet, right? God mightily moved on those who wrote the Scriptures, causing them to temporarily become instruments through whom He expressed His heart and will. They were writers, but God was the great musician who breathed upon them His instruments. Thus, the Bible is God's message delivered through human writers to us. And just as the word pneuma can carry the idea of a fragrance, the word was breathed from God and thus carries His very essence and fragrance within it. Since the word pneuma can also portray the projection of emotions, 
we know that God projected the totality of His emotions into the Word when He inspired its writing. Therefore, the Word not only conveys an intellectual message, but it has God's heart in it as well. And the pneuma of God didn't create the Scriptures and then depart from it. This power, the same pneuma power that originally created and continues to sustain the universe, is still inside God's Word, upholding and empowering it to be just as strong as the day it was given. Wow. Man, that does something for me. I hope it uh, touches you, blesses you in a, in, a, uh, in a way as well. Praise God. Let me, uh, let me pray for us, and, um, and we will uh, end here tonight. Father, thank you for um, those who are in attendance. Lord, those who will be in attendance in the days ahead. Um, Father, speaking to our hearts, thank you for your precious Holy Spirit and His anointing upon your precious Holy Word. Thank you, Father, tonight that you are stirring within us a desire and a hunger for your Word. Father, like, like we have never had or experienced before in our lives, I thank you, Father, that our attitude towards your word is enabling us to receive things from your word, Lord, that we have been uh, uh, blinded to before, that we've been previously unable to, to see and connect with and experience. I thank you, Father, that your word is living and powerful. It's alive and it's active. And Father, that your word is alive and active in us tonight. I thank you, Father God, that we humble ourselves before your word. We give your word that place. We give you place, Lord God, in our lives, the place that you deserve in our lives so that your word can have the place that it deserves in our lives. And Father, if, if nothing else, and I, I believe that much more, Father, but if nothing else, may every person who listens to this class take away that simple question to ask themselves in every situation of life. What does the word of God say? Because, Father, we have made up our minds that we're going to live for you. And living for you means living by and for your word with you empowering us to be able to not only hear and receive the word, but to carry the word out and to do the word in our daily lives. Father, may we also think in terms of how we can share your word with other people, Lord, so that they can hear your word and faith can be awakened and aroused and stirred within them. Father, that, that they can hear the word and respond to the word and experience, Father, results that only your word can produce in their lives and in our lives as well. Father, we thank you uh, for uh, loving us and for believing the best about us, being so patient with us, never giving up on us, Father. We thank you for your great mercy. And Father, we thank you that you're teaching us to be merciful. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness and you're, and you're teaching us how to forgive others. Father, we thank you, Lord, that, that, that you have uh, chosen to not condemn us. And so, Father, I thank you that you're teaching us how to never participate in the condemning of another person. And so, Father, we bless you and we love you and, and we receive from you tonight uh, the wisdom and the anointing and the calling, Father, the gifts that you have for us. Lord, may we be careful uh, to recognize uh, those gifts. May we be careful to, to, to keep those gifts stirred up and stoked in our lives that they would not become dormant. And Father, may we be careful uh, to use those gifts in, in ways that will make a difference in other people's lives and bring glory to your name. Father, once again, we bless you. We say thank you for this time together. And, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you for joining us. 
I pray that um, I pray that God will just continue to work uh, in in your life and through your life, and uh, and as we love to say around here at Heritage, good things come.